Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block. All of our regular hosts are here today. Good afternoon, Ed, Ed, Gina, and Mike. I guess I shouldn't say good afternoon to myself. Why not? Because <laughs> I'll sound worse than anything I'll say even uh, the rest of the show. As always, even though we're being we're streaming live on Facebook today, we'll also be available as a podcast shortly after the conclusion of today's show. And we invite anyone listening to please send feedback. We now have a new email address, which is the conservatarian exchange at the liberty block.com. So good afternoon, all. Hey, everybody. Good afternoon, guys. Ed. Hello, hello. Okay, shall we start farthest away and work our way back? Uh, Ukraine is big, big in the news, obviously. We can talk about why it happened, what's happening, exactly what is America doing in response, what should they be doing in response. And I guess my big question is, as someone who favors strongly independence movements, why does it bother us the two um, regions declared independence and asked to be allied in some way with another country. And I'll just add that, and how many of you guys listen to Derek Hunter's podcast? Or is it only me? He was I think with, you're special, Steve. I know I'm special. Thank you. He, he was with Daily Caller. He writes for Town Hall and some other places as well. I agree with him probably 75% of the time, but today he got me a little bit upset because he said that Ukraine should have squashed the rebellion eight years ago. He goes, can you imagine if Oregon and Washington decided they wanted to be on their own, we should go right in there with troops. What are we waiting for? So I am- Well, I, I said if Southern California decided to secede from the United States, almost everyone in the rest of the country would go, oh, thank God. Right, so I'm not quite sure why we're, trying to say they have no right to declare independence. So that's really my first question to everybody. So I talked to my friend uh, who was who used to be a diplomat and uh, he, you know, he's relatively blue-pilled, um, but uh, his response was that he did not believe that the governments in those breakaway republics were representative of the people there he thought that the people who seized power in those um, two areas um, were ruling with an iron fist and they were not representative of the population. And then he said he well, thought- Trudeau he is thought, in Ukraine, not in Canada? Um, well, yeah, I mean, certainly we should go and overthrow that government. But uh, I wanted to get this, you know, I want to get his point out. He, he said he thought that uh, the Russian parliament and, and Putin recognized not those breakaway areas as independent, but the whole oblasts of Donetsk and Lukansk, which are about almost twice as big. I think Lukansk is more than twice as big as those separatist areas. So he believes that um, there's a good chance, you know, now with Russian troops moving into the breakaway areas that uh, Russia will go in to and, and basically invade and take over the rest of the oblasts, um, running over the Ukrainian military 
and that will cause a general war in the in Ukraine, which um, will even if Putin pretends that he's only going into Lugansk and Donetsk, will spread to the rest of the country, and uh, Russia will then take over Ukraine, which will then panic our allies uh, in the region: Hungary, Poland. Um, Finland, et cetera, who are right next to Russia. And this will be a complete disaster. That's his assessment of the situation. I don't see how we here in America know. Complete disaster. That's his assessment. I don't see how we here in America know whether the Ukraine-Russia dispute is Texas trying to take over Mexico, Mexico trying to take over Texas, or one state in Mexico trying to take over another state in Mexico. We don't really know who, whether there's a, I mean, I don't think that Ukraine is a democratic country, first of all, Russia is not a democratic country. This whole talk about represent, whether, the, whether the, the breakaway governments are representative of the people, it just seems farcical to me because the, none of the governments in that region are, are representative of the people. I don't see how it's really in our interest one way or the other to, to protect one or the other. Um, and I just don't think that we, as America, I mean, maybe, maybe some brilliant people at the State Department, ha ha, would, uh, you know, should know what, um, what, you know, what the political statuses are there. But from the, from the 4,000 miles or so away that we are, or 5,000 miles, however far away it is, it looks to me like two warring gangs, the Bloods versus the Crips. And it's really, and it's not on our soil, so it's really not much of our business. I mean, other than, you know, the Biden family has, you know, a lot of money and a lot of interest coming from the Ukrainians. So maybe they want to protect their their family stake. Okay, go ahead, Gina. I was just going to say, according to Saki, it's our um, obligation and it's our duty as Americans to help out. That's part of our values. And that's why we should be happy with paying higher gas prices, higher energy prices, all of that, because. Well, Ed, it's simply just our duty as a the inviolability of the Ukrainian border, because borders are inviolable. Huh. Well, I'll tell you something. Uh, it, it dawned on me when I was a freshman in uh, college, I actually took Rus- Russian history. And I can tell you this much, too. I don't remember a whole lot about it other than it was really confusing to me, <laughs> to me at the time. And I guess my, my point is, you know, I mean, there were a couple of articles that we shared on the show notes and I read through them and I'm trying to get a feel for what's really going on there. And my takeaway is we just don't really know that much about that part of the world. At least most of us don't. It's a long, long history uh, of, um, you know, that country there, Russia, Ukraine, going back centuries. And and it's, it's hard to wrap your arms or your head around it. It, You know, it's obviously it's easy for a lot of people to just say Putin bad and it's not that he isn't a bad guy, but, you know, I, I'm not sure that I really understand what the people there in those um, those republics really want. And well, I, I, I will I will play the devil's advocate again, because I guess every assessment I've made about what's going to happen has been wrong. So at least it, uh, playing the devil's advocate, I can uh, add to this without being wrong again. Um you know, the Greeks are still mad at the West for the sacking of Constantinople in 1204. So you can kind of imagine, and this is true, by the way. So you can kind of imagine that the people in that area of Ukraine 
are none too fond of the Russians, um, uh, even now, uh, because of the way Ukraine was treated under Stalin, the Holodomor and the mass starvation and whatnot. So it's not like the Ukrainians are particularly fond of the Russians and certainly don't want to be under Russian um, domination. Um, that, that's certainly true, and we can totally understand that. Um, so I, the, the question is that I think, uh, I think Russia, historically, uh, you know, invaded by um, France and then, and then Germany and then Germany, um, really wants a buffer zone against what they see as a hostile NATO. And they think Ukraine and Belarus represent that, that buffer zone. So that, that, that's kind of the, the two perspectives. Um, from the United States perspective, we we've kind of we've kind of taken the we've kind of taken the lesson of Munich, right? And and you know, if we could have done something early to prevent um, the rearmament of the Rhineland or the Anschluss or the uh, takeover of Czechoslovakia, we could have potentially prevented Hitler from you know starting a war that killed sixty million people. Um, I, and I think we're all set in these these historical analogies where we're thinking about Hitler and Russia is thinking about Hitler and the Kaiser and Napoleon and the Ukrainians are thinking about the Holodomor and I, I, I think there's there's not we all coming from it at a uh, from a different perspective and none of these perspectives are particularly compatible um, from from my perspective I think it was a mistake to uh, replace the Yukachenko in in uh, 2014, the United States was basically behind that coup, and uh, and that threw out an elected leader. I mean, to the extent that anything's a fair election in that area, um, who was pro-Russian, and uh, we did it because he rejected a uh, you know some sort of a trade agreement with Europe, um, and uh, and as soon as we did that. Uh, Putin, for the second time, because we did it at first uh, in 2004, 10 years before. So twice the people elected a pro-Russian leader, twice the United States got rid of them. So I think Putin just goes, oh, well, we're not doing that again. So he took over Ukraine and, and uh, you know, he encouraged these separatists in, in the eastern part of the country. And I, I think that's just... Um, I mean, listen, I, I, think I mean... I, I, let me just one, one finish. So, I mean, we can think about the past. Everybody's thinking about the past. But if you think about the present, there is literally nothing the United States can do. Nothing. There's nothing we can do. The sanctions are ineffective. And we have so many sanctions against so many countries in the world for so many different things that everybody's pissed off at the United States. We're the Lucy Van Pelt of countries. We boss everybody around. And for just minor, minor things we want to you know uh we want to protect disney so we force everybody to have absurd copyright laws lasting 100 100 years or or whatever it when some country wants to have a perfectly reasonable 30-year copyright law but no we bully them and bully them and bully them and put sanctions on them until their copyright laws match ours 95 years and people are sick of the bullying and nobody likes the united states except the people who want us to defend them from a potentially hostile Russia. And I'm just, I, I'm just 
there's nothing we can, there's literally nothing we can do. We cannot fight a war in winter in Russia. People have tried that before. It doesn't come out well. There's nothing we can do. Nothing. We can give the Ukrainians arms. That's it. Right. That, that's it. That's all we can do. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, I, I don't know. I, I don't think Putin really is that concerned about us being up against his border, per se. Because I don't, I don't think, I mean, he can't be stupid enough to think that we'd be aggressive against them. And if, yeah, we did, well, if we I did mean, have, if we did have a present. The Germans were. Okay. The Nazis were. Listen, we're, we're not about to go invade uh, Russia, even if we had troops along the, the eastern Ukraine. Border. I think there are people not, in the United States I, government who would love to do that. They're they figure be. out which bathroom okay. or tent they would send them to in the field. Come on. To me, the question. Well, I mean, is, that's what's that's what Paul Jeffs Watson said the other day. It's like, you know, our sanctions are going to we're not going to refer to Russian oligarchs by their preferred pronouns anymore. That's that's our sanction. You know, I mean, these people are idiots. There's nothing we can do. But what, this what, is, what's Putin's real motivation? I think he wants to enrich himself. And I think, he, you know, enrich his country to become more powerful. I don't know if he has designs on trying to put the Soviet empire back together. I think he's deluded if that's what he thinks. But I, I certainly think that he wants the resources that Ukraine would afford him. And I think Let that's take probably a little different take. what's at stake. Let me take a little different take. And, and before I do, uh, Ed, just to make sure you don't you feel comfortable about being wrong every week or being wrong. Oh, yeah, I'm wrong every, every, every week. Time. I'm wrong every Constantinople week. didn't fall in 1204. It fell in 1453. It fell to the Latins in 1204. 1204, it was sacked by the Latins, it was sacked by a crusader army. That's why the Greeks are mad at the West for 1204. OK, uh, they're mad the right at the Turks for 1453. I, I'm just I don't we don't we don't need to spend time on that. I just was pulling your leg a little bit. But I think. I don't think Putin has any nefarious motives. I don't think he's trying to get rich on it. I think this whole this whole incident is really is being driven by the United States and to a lesser extent, the, the, the Western Europeans. And I think we're going to talk about COVID, I bet, and, and Canada and Trudeau. And I think it's all related. I think that the purpose here is to implement sanctions. And the purpose of sanctions is not to hurt Russia, but to hurt us. It's to drive up oil prices. It's to, I mean, Germany re relies on about 70% of its energy needs from Russia. So putting sanctions on Russia and Russian oil and natural gas is going to hurt Germany and Western Europe tremendously. And, and I think that's the whole point here. I don't think that anybody really cares who, which dictator governs those eastern runaway provinces. I think they're looking for a new way to, to continue the, the COVID tyranny. And not just the COVID tyranny, but the, the lockdowns and the economic dislocation that, that, they, that they perpetrated against us for COVID, they're looking to do that again. The whole purpose is not, just like COVID wasn't about public health, it was about weakening our economy. I think this is about weakening our economies and making us poorer and making us more vulnerable to what they're planning to do to us going forward. That's what I think is going on. I don't think this is, has anything to do with caring about the sovereignty of Ukrainians or Russians or whether Russian people should be in a Russian country. Or I just don't think any of that matters. I think that's all smokescreen. I think the sanctions are the point, and the point is not to hurt Russia, but to hurt us. Well, that's all those sanctions are going to do. Yeah. They're not going to hurt anybody but the United States. 
I mean, from and then the these ones- energy perspective, um, you know, there there is a pipeline that has Russian gas from Russia through Ukraine and Germany. through through Poland and into Germany. Right, and, and they and, and they put it they put something up that's not going to last. And the and the Ukrainians take a cut of that, right? There's a sort of a tax to go through the Ukrainian, and that goes to Ukrainian. Um, companies and oligarchs and their friends. Like Hunter Biden. Um, and the whole point of Nord Stream 2, from Putin's perspective, was to get all of these taxes out, right? He, he pays taxes to Ukraine, he pays taxes to Poland. Let's get that out. Let's do a pipeline directly from Russia to Germany. And then, you know, all of that money could come to me, Putin, and my oligarch friends. That was the whole point of Nord Stream 2. And so the United States didn't want that because we wanted the, the graft to happen in Ukraine. We, we desperately want, wanted to keep that graft from hap, uh, doing. And we wanted to be able to use Ukraine as a sort of a buffer against Russia. With Nord Stream 2, it would just go away. That, that whole thing would go away. And um, I, I think that's kind of the one of the big, I, I think that's one of the big underlying motives of everyone in this catastrophe is this, the whole, you know, oil, gas, energy disaster, Germany turns off all its power plants and so has to import because they're idiots and so has to import all their energy and they got wind. They got lots of wind. Yeah, they've got wind. <laughs> although, yeah, although they didn't have very much wind last year. Just retired when uh, you know when Merkel retired. I mean, that that was most of their wind energy came from her. <laughs> I want to make a couple of points here. Number uh, one, we talk about Ukraine as a whole, but I don't know why that precludes part of Ukraine splitting off peacefully. Um, as far as Putin, I think he has just as much right to not want us in Ukraine as we don't want him in Cuba. We have a Monroe Doctrine. I think he should have a right to it, whether it's crazy or not. We may be crazy to not want Putin anywhere in our hemisphere, you know, on this side of the ocean. But that's our um, that's our paranoia. Maybe we have a right to do that, a right to believe that. It's interesting. There were a couple of stories that I saw right before the show. One is the obvious one that we all kind of remember is we told Ukraine, have no fear, give back all your nukes, we'll, we'll back you guys up if you ever invaded, whoops. And then there was another story that I just saw that Ukraine is in the beginnings of passing a law allowing citizens to all carry arms. And the third story was that the Russian Duma just voted to delay payment on Cuban debt to Russia until 2027 without interest. That, um... I just, I think the second amendment story is kind of interesting. Yeah. I think once again, America's word being absolutely worthless. Um, and, and that's been so many times and I just don't think overall that's a good thing. But at least, you know, is one of the reasons America's unconquerable because we have uh, personal weapons. Who knows? But I think it's kind of funny. The United States has conducted foreign policy in an unconstitutional way since uh, wow. the Second World War. You need to 
if you're going to come to an agreement with the country, you have to come to an agreement in a treaty and have it ratified by the Senate. Since that's too complicated, they never do it. They just say, oh, well, mm -hmm. promise this and promise that and promise the other thing and, and uh, never, you know, fulfill the promises or only occasion. Like the Iran deal, of course, yeah. Or, or declaring war. When's the last time we declared war? Japan. Well, right. Germany, I guess, three days World later. War two. Yep. Well, I, I don't know if Ed is wrong, wrong about his um, assertion about the sanctions, but I also don't want to dismiss that Putin is still a thug and a tyrant. And he, I think he's still um, does, if he could, he'd want to put the Soviet Union back together tomorrow. And he has designs on aggression. He, I mean, he annexed Crimea. They invaded Crimea and took that. So we can't act like, you know, what he's doing is innocent or that he's not a problem either, you know, so. Well, let me just say this too. I think, I think that Biden and the Democrats are, are so invested in Trump derangement syndrome that they will demonize Putin no matter what. It, it, they need to continue to demonize him oh, yeah. as long as Trump is potentially on the scene. So I think that's also a component of what's going on. Um, I really don't think that any Democrat knows a darn thing about the local people, the local governments in either region or either, either country. I think this is also about continuing to demonize Putin as a surrogate for continuing to demonize Trump and to continue the narrative of the Russian collusion hoax and, oh, yeah. You yeah. saw that. That was clearly evident. They were doing that interview with uh, Jen Psaki. And she's like, well, we want to take advice from somebody that thinks that Putin, of all people, you know, is a smart guy and an intelligent guy. And that just whatever, coming back against Trump, you know, they're trying to ask her about, you know, are these sanctions going to hold? What did you think about the Trump interview? Because I think he did. Uh, oh, crap. I forget who he did an interview with, but I know they put it in the New York Post. And anyway, she just turned it back on him again and put it to this connection with Putin and Russia. And it's just like, get over it already, man. But yeah. I, I think but they're not uh, going to get over it. That's part of the whole thing here. It is. You know, I think they're trying to extend it just like they've tried to extend COVID. Uh, they, they see crises as things that they can milk for all they've got. And well, I think I, this is just another one. You know, listen, we know the whole Russian collusion, collusion thing is a joke, but Trump walks right into it because, you know, he says something stupid yesterday, basically praising him for, for his actions. Right. And it's like, why, why on earth are you doing that? Praising who for his actions? Putin? He, he was yeah, talking he about was... Putin and saying that the guy was just, he's an intelligent guy. He's smart. And he is, yeah. I mean, you got to give credit where credit's due. That's and you know what, if you see somebody like Chi, for example, like, I don't have to like the guy, but I'll tell you, he's a hell of a lot smarter than Joe flipping yeah. Biden and the things that he's doing. And right now, Putin's pretty dang smart the way he's playing this. He's like 10 moves ahead on a flipping chessboard. Right. And you know what? He's giving him credit. He's not saying, oh, that's my boy. You're my boy, Blue. But but, no, I mean, know. he's giving him credit. But obviously, when he yeah, says then the that, left me the left-wing media jumps all over it. But in the and meantime, that's where Saki was know. with it. Yeah. Also, but, you know, Mike, you also said earlier that, that Putin wants to re resurrect the Soviet Union. And, and I disagree with that. I, I think he would and, and he could. Maybe, I think so, too. I, I don't think so. And I'll tell you why. I mean, maybe he wants those borders reestablished. But on a cultural level, he is not communist. He is pro-Christian, uh, anti-homosexuality, um, 
he he is for what we in America would call traditional family type values. And I don't think that's what the communists are for on a cultural level. I think that on a cultural level, he's he's pro-Russian, he's pro-nationalist. And I don't think that he's for the internationalist communist movement. I just don't. I, I mean, maybe there's some similarities. You, you, I mean, I think that's you now right. sound like an agent of Putin. An agent of Putin. I think that's, I think that's <laughs> right. But I mean, so are the czars. And they went from the Duchy of Muscovy in like 1500 to controlling all of Asia in 1917. So, I mean, that you can be, you can want an empire without being um, a communist. And I, I think that Putin probably oh. would prefer an empire as long as he doesn't have to fight very much for it. Maybe so, but I was just, I was just pushing back on Mike's contention that he wants to be re resurrect the Soviet Union. I don't think he's communist. I don't think he wants the Soviet Union. He may want the Russian Empire. He may want those old borders, but I don't think he's a Soviet Union guy. I don't think he's a communist. He, he may be a bad guy. He is a bad guy, but he's just uh, friends with communists. Huh? He's just, just friends with communists. He, pal he pals around. Communist? Pals around. Question. Wait a minute. How long did it take to go from 13 colonies till uh, 50 states? What, what is this business about? You can go, you know, from a small little hey. whatever to an That's empire. What is that? Mani that was manifest destiny. And and how do you say that in Russian? And look, I don't get it. And by the way, Texas was a state and then it was part of the union. And if they broke off and they wanted to ally themselves with Mexico or something, this could all be, you know, flipped around backwards. And we wouldn't want Russia meddling in that. And I don't know why we should be meddling in, in their business anyway. Now, if they start going further and further, then we'll make a different decision. But not that I really care, you know. Right. Well. It. Again, we need to learn from history, too. And it's hard sometimes to know the right answer because, yeah, we look back at World War II and Hitler and not stopping that aggression earlier on and how it could have spared the world a lot of uh, misery and death. But then I look back and see how we got involved in the Middle East over Kuwait. And my opinion is that ultimately led to 9-11, our involvement in the Middle East. So... I think, what led to 9 I think what led to 9-11 was our open borders policy and, and our, wow. our failure to, to strengthen ourselves at home. I don't think it was our meddling in the Middle East. I don't think you don't that, think so. Come on. Ed. I, no, no. So you don't think no, they resented us being there? No, my no, Mike. I think they've resented us since the Barbary pirates got Jefferson to declare war on them. They have hated us. They've hated Western civilization for 1300 years. And we are now the leaders of Western civilization. That's why they hate us. Not because we meddled. We could stay here and do nothing and they would still hate us. Israel I, I, hasn't done no, anything I, I, to them. They hate Israel. In, uh, fact, in fact, if anything, Israel has been very Racism and prejudice. Um, I, I, boy, we could argue this one all day long. And I don't want to relitigate World War II as a result of World War I. But Hitler wasn't our problem. He was a problem of the Europeans at worst. And why did we have to be involved in it? It's Europe that gives itself up to all of this and then we have to come and save them. So well, to Trump's credit, I mean, you know, Hannity was playing some video of him yesterday from back when he was president and he was talking directly to the leader of NATO and talking about the whole energy thing and, and how, you know, the Germans and other European countries are basically enriching Russia 
um, because of importing the, the energy from that country. And he was right. He was, and what's going to happen right. when, when sanctions on that energy come in? Germany is going to yeah. get hit hard. Well, no, there's, there's how, no long are, how long are they actually going to last? Like they're all meeting over the Iranian deal. So Blinken's pulled out of meeting with Russia, but now they're going to be meeting. What is it? The 24th or 25th? It's just this. None of this is going to last. This show of force with these sanctions, none of them are going to last. They're just waste. Fiasco. I think it will last, Gina. I, I, I think that the purpose is to hurt the West. It's to hurt Germany. It's to hurt America. It's to drive up the price of oil. They, they are happy with the high price of oil. They don't, they, they don't think it's a bad thing if the price of gas goes up to five or $10 a gallon. They want it does seem particularly, it, it does seem I don't, particularly I don't mean just the United States sanctions. I mean the sanctions that everybody has placed on them because there's a lot of these European nations that have went and placed sanctions on them. I do not see them lasting because they are so dependent on Germany. And we have got China that is backing Russia no matter what. So none of this crap is flipping hurting them. It's it's really not. You think they didn't because plan this out? You think they didn't... That's just the that's just the rationalization given to us, so we accept it. But Biden himself said yesterday, "We have to be prepared to right. pay for it." Right. They are trying to hurt us. That is the goal here. It does seem odd that our sanctions are aimed against little old ladies in Dusseldorf. I mean, that does seem to be particularly useless from the standpoint of our State Department. Um, from a bigger picture, I think, I, I think we, if the United States is not going to collapse in the next decade or so, which probably it will, but assume it doesn't, um, if we're going to remain, you know, in a leadership role in the, in the free world, we have to in some way counter China. And the only way to do that is to get the Russians to be our friends. If the Russians and Chinese are together and basically the entire Eurasian landmass is under the control of the Russians and Chinese, um, then the United States is completely hosed. Um, we're, we're basically back to just being within the, the 50 states. And, you know, maybe that's OK, but um, that means a lot more poverty for all of us. Um, but if we have the Russians on our side in the big picture and the Europe and Russia and the United States and maybe India all together, all semi, you know, semi free and semi capitalists. And, you know, I think we have a, a potentially bright future. And that, that's just everything that they're doing to make Russia our enemy is is really going helping to destroy the United States. And that's the whole point. We're being led by people who hate the United States. They're not trying to make things better for us. They're trying to make things worse for us. That's the whole goal. All they do is they try and come up with flowery rhetoric that are gonna, that'll get us to go along with their plan. But their plan is to weaken us and ultimately destroy us. That's their plan. They don't, they don't want us to be able to fend off China. They're figuring out how we can surrender to China. They're figuring out how they can weaken us so China can defeat us. And they just don't want to get caught with being the treasonous traitors that they are. That's what's going on. Which, you know, good enough place as any to segue to Trudeau, who's out there with his praising China and the Chinese dictatorship. <laughs> yeah, I, obviously, we all have a million thoughts about Canada. One I definitely want to mention is, I forget which pundit mentioned it first, 
But this is what the Canadians apparently wanted. I remember last week I mentioned that anecdotally, the few Canadians I'd heard from were like, yeah, the truckers are horrible people. Well, the parliament voted for this. So it is no longer the, you know, the people against the government. This is this is what they want in Canada for some reason. Yeah, what, was the vote? what was it, 180 to 150 or something like that, that it passed by? Because he called it a no confidence motion or whatever. There's not exactly an uprising to overturn this. Apparently, mm-hmm. apparently the Canadian yeah. creed has to do with obedience or something. Well, there was only the one leader of the one province who uh, is taking legal action, right? Which province is it? Yeah. Again, which, which one off the top of my head? I, I sent think, it. I think it was I Alberta, sent it. wasn't it? Alberta, okay. Over the past week, I sent the, uh, the article on it. But yeah, I mean, I think he was petitioning to their uh, highest court. You know, it's, it's crazy because I see like friends that I have that are in Canada and they're against this 100%. I, I, don't, I don't understand it, honestly, because that's all what I keep hearing is Canada wants this. But people that I know in Canada want nothing to do with it. Well, where are they? Well, one of them just moved, gosh, I think they were in Alberta and they moved to New Brunswick. But New what Brunswick? can they do? Well, you know, the truck a couple of them are in Ontario. Right. We were supposed to have a guest on the ground on the ground in Canada. He's going to join us next week. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be great to ask somebody who's local there, you know, for an opinion. But my, my sense from what you're saying and my sense from talking to some people is that the, the there's a same a similar uh gulf between Canadian politicians and the Canadian people as there is between the Republican Party and the Republican base. Right. If you listen to the Republican Party, the Republican Party as a, as a party seems like it's a-okay with everything that's going on, the COVID tyranny, the what's going on in Canada, war in Ukraine and Russia. They are behind all of it. They're almost indistinguishable from the Democrats. I mean, may, right. they disagree on certain, you know, maybe minor, you know, minor details. But I don't think that the Republican base and the Republican electorate is at all in favor of what's going on. And I think there's a tremendous gulf between the, the leaders, the, the elected leaders and, and the people. And maybe that's what's going on in Canada. I don't know. It would be great to talk to someone up there about that. Um, but I know that we see that here. Question. Yeah. Did the truckers win or lose? I think they won. Okay. In what sense? I think, well, I think in multiple senses, I think in the fact that they have been, what do you want to call it? They have been a role model, I guess you'd say, um, for support. They have rallied the troops. And I think even if, you know, their bank's accounts were frozen, their stuff was seized, their trucks are seized, whatever it may be, they are setting the tone and an example worldwide, um, just like the convoy that we've got going right now. If, they didn't see that happening in Canada um, and them leading the way in that, that wouldn't be happening here right now. So while they may have got crushed financially um, by Trudeau, I still think they won um, a lot. I think the people of Canada seeing how the police officers would, they had 6,000 officers come into Ottawa. Um, I think they saw who is really running their government. And I think that there will be another uprising in Canada now that they see um, who's running what and who's behind the people of the country. I think it's going to be some big stuff coming up in the next few months. I see the heads of the movement are going to be in jail forever and ever. 
and they have no reason to ever give them back a nickel. They never have a reason to give them even banking privileges. So I just, I don't see it all that rosily. Yeah. That, you know, I, oh, we didn't, but that's the same thing. You didn't think of the martyrs in the Bible. You didn't think that they won. That word has gone on generation after generation and it has benefited and it has reaped. They planted a seed up there. So yeah, they have been martyred in that sense. They've lost their, their stuff. They're persecuted. The people that have even donated you know, to the GoFundMe or whatever, give, send, go. They've all been doxxed. I mean, everybody has been persecuted from it. But I think there is a seed that's been planted and I think momentum will come out of it. Yeah, like Jay, I think, Steve, you, you sort of alluded to the January 6th people when you talked about them you know, being put in jail and having their assets frozen. And, and I think the answer to your question is sort of like asking who, you know, did the January 6th protesters win or lose? And the, the answer is it, the game's not over yet. Right, right now they're getting their asses kicked and they're losing badly, but the game's not over and we'll see what happens at the end. Long term, the Soviet Union fell apart and that's wonderful. It really helped the people that lived there for 70 years. Um, you know, J6ers obviously are stuck in jail. They're going to rebuild walls around D.C. now for the State of the Union. And now it's not even such a big deal. It's the second time around. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, long, long, long term, maybe. But yeah. Listen, the jury's still out on whether the truckers have won or lost, because it all depends on what happens. I, I think I think I agree with Gina. I think that the truckers and the J6 people have have sacrificed themselves for the greater good, but on the issue, they all won. The COVID totalitarianism is coming to an end in Canada. And as far as the J6ers in the United States, they may be stuck in jail, their lives are ruined. But state after state, anti-tampering laws, uh, anti-drop box laws, anti, uh, you know, uh, random, uh, a million um, mail-in ballot laws are quietly being passed. Yes, California has gone bad, but in state after state, including in Georgia, laws are being passed that, um, that sort of vindicate the issue that the J6ers were, um, were protesting for. So, I mean, yes, there was 430,000 Americans died in the Second World War to rid us of Nazism. And from their perspective, you know, was it worth it? I don't know. I can't answer for Actually, that. They, they did a great job ridding us from Nazism. And how free are we compared to the way we were 70 years ago? Pitifully. So, you know, the long term goes both ways. I don't know. I, 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 I agree. I agree. You know, did Canadian soldiers die in World War II so that they could be crushed under emergency martial law the way they and by the way, it's it's okay if Canada opens up as far as COVID because he now has emergencies for a different reason, and he can extend this as long as he wants to. And you know, somebody pointed out it may have been Naomi Wolf, I can't remember, but saying you know, guess what? When you vote to let a guy have emergency powers, he can dissolve Parliament as well. Gee, has that ever happened before? So I don't know. All right, the game's yeah. not over. Tyrants are winning, but it's not over. I'm with you, Ed, on this one. I, I can't say that the, the war has been won. Got a long way to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, the fact that the good guys win in the end doesn't help all the people in between. That's the only problem with that. So, 
You know, I look at Russia. No, we can only do the best we can do, though, Steve. What's that? All we can do is the best we can do. I mean, you're asking for some mythical, perfect solution that instantaneously reverses all bad and only punishes the evil and rewards the good. I mean, that's an impossible standard. I mean, some yeah, some good people are going to get screwed in, in, in this battle, not because that's our goal, not because we want it, not because we want to celebrate it. But that's just the way life goes sometimes. You know, I mean, you've got to, you've got to fight and, you know, evil is out there and evil does fight back. Okay, That's so let me, the world I, I forget is. the exact expression about if you're going to assassinate the king, you got to kill him the first time around. So if you're going to, quote, sacrifice yourself and back down in the middle of the fight, does that make it better or does that make it worse? Now, I noticed all those people who have bumper stickers, war is not the answer. War is the answer. It's always been the answer. We crushed Germany and we're doing great for 80 years with them. And we crushed Japan and we're doing great with them. If you're going to fight back, maybe you need to fight it all the way or don't fight. So I don't know if this goes. How do you feel if the truckers are not are, are surrendering, though? What do you think that they that they should be doing that they aren't doing? They didn't surrender. They're crushed. They're gone. OK, but, so but. No, I don't think that's true. I mean, Lauren Southern has been uh, reporting from uh, Vancouver area and the the protest movements in that area are still going strong. Um, right. Every, they've just been cleared in the streets of Ottawa. Yeah, every weekend they go and try to block the border between Vancouver and, you know, I-5. And, and, and every weekend the police stop them from getting near the border because what the police do is they, um, they close the border. So, and then there's these protests and, and parties and fun and, and she's do it. She's done it for the last two weekends and she has a great uh, set of videos on it. And this is going to continue. I mean, yeah, he, they cleared the Imperial center of, of uh, protesters, but the rest of the country is so still up in arms. Think, how does that influence anything? protests. Once they're insulated the way governments are today, it's like, you know, the trucker convoy in America, well, we're not going to go into D.C. and we're not going to totally block the Capitol Beltway. And some of them aren't even coming to the city at all, I believe. What does Washington care? Well, I don't think care, Washington cares, they, but if they lose the periphery, um, they're, they're going to just be, uh, you know, an imperial center in charge of just themselves. And, That's exactly you know, what I think they are. They control us because I don't, and I don't think Ottawa cares what the rest of the country wants. I think that's what they're proving. What do they care? Unless the truckers do, we're not delivering goods to you guys in Washington. So the truckers want to, you know, waste their weekends driving around the honking the horns. So what? Well, I think the so what is the next step is not delivering food. And letting that's how the that's how you make these people cry uncle. Don't deliver the toilet paper. We know people go into panic when it's with the toilet paper. That might be the best way Wait to go. Wait until stop delivering the food, Gina. I think <laughs> no, it, was stop... a, it was it was a joke. I know. No, I know. I mean, yeah, but, but it's one step ahead of you, Gina. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you, you get the toilet paper. Again, we're ahead of the curve. Of the food, right? Because you need the toilet paper after the food. <laughs> They're all little shits anyway, so they can't get away with that toilet paper. Um, I don't know. 
I, I don't know that protest is ineffective in the United States. I think that protests have been effective in American history. I think there are times when they have not been effective. We'll have to see. It, it, it depends on the tactics in some respects, right? We'll have to see yeah. what happens. Well, I'm wondering, I'm not a historian, but does it depend on the tactic or did they used to work because Washington feared them, but is now convinced themselves they don't even have to fear them? Well, they don't, they obviously don't fear us. I mean, I can't tell you how many Obamacare rallies on the Hill I went to. That's the kind it of thing. Matter, it didn't matter a Hill of Beans. But, you know, when I talk about other tactics, Think about some of the things the left does to um, throw sand in the gears of things, you know, blocking roads, doing sit-ins. Maybe it's, these are some of the little tactics the right needs to start to employ. In the 60s, it worked, but I think that's because it was the first time and they were afraid of it. I don't know that yeah. they're afraid of it anymore. You know, the other problem is you, you have to toe the line in some respects because you don't want to lose the public. You want to have their support. You want to win that PR battle. If you start hurting other everyday Americans, you know, some of us would be willing to put up with it because we're, we believe in the cause, but a lot of other people wouldn't put up with it. I don't think our battle when the negatives aren't even reported, they don't even happen. I think the reason the protests worked in the sixties, Steve, is because you had leftist thugs doing the protesting and you had basically freedom loving people in government who didn't really understand how to deal with that kind of thuggery. And, and frankly, the Republican Party still doesn't know how to deal with people who are using the democratic system to destroy the democratic system. The, the problem in the 60s was the, the people in power were afraid to use power to quell the uprising. Today, you've got the Biden people and the Trudeau people that are the communists themselves in power who have no problem using the force of the state to silence their dissenters. That's what those people do. And that's why it looks like it's not, that it's not as effective today. What has to happen is the people, on, the people protesting have to be prepared for, for force to be used against them. And they have, to, they have to have a plan. I mean, none of us on this show is a trucker. We're not privy to what the plans are, but I just hope that the truckers are pre prepared to deal with the force that Lloyd Austin has already said he's bringing out to bear on them. And, I like that he's bringing well, out the 800 uh, National Guard troops up to D.C., but he can't bring them down to fight the cartels or anything well, down at our southern border. What, what could, what could, uh, that's not accidental, Gina. Oh, I know. Oh, I know it's not. I'm just it's just it's mind boggling. And you know what? We have learned over the last two years just how corrupt our government is. Not that we didn't weren't aware of it. You know, but they've been emboldened and people are seeing more and more. So there's been the big swell of people leaving the left and going to the right. And that's all that I can hope for is that people will see more and more of this and it will keep pushing them towards, you know, realizing how much they love their country, what they had, what they have to fight for. Because if we wouldn't have had the heck that we've gone through the last two or three years, you wouldn't have these truck convoys in Canada or in the United States, you wouldn't have had these road rallies and 50 million other things because people are finally waking up to know what the heck they have and what they have to lose. And I think that is part of what I was saying about the Canada thing. They're, they're not losers because people are seeing what is being stripped from them. So enough of them, there will be a rising of the everyday people. I don't know when, I can't say that it's six months from now or three months from now, but look at the American patriots that have rose up 
in the last few years, the parents that have rose up because their eyes have been open to see what the heck's going on around them. Yeah, I'm friends with a couple of them in New Hampshire and they've all been arrested and some of them sat in prison. So I don't know. Well, that's this is the million dollar question now. What's the next chess move for the truckers? And what are they going to do? I guess, and, and maybe the elephant in the living room is going to go back to the police. And I see, I've, I've said since the beginning of the show, it's a struggle, I believe, between conservatives and what I call libertarians. I see more and more people in the conservative world blasting police for not seemingly having anything they won't do on the side of the government. Yet there's still a tremendous resistance to saying this is all police. Politicians do absolutely nothing. You will never see Chuck Schumer out on the street beating up a trucker. And at some point, I'm not sure where this is all going to end, but it's going to explode. Well, they'll send the police in to give the cops a bad rap. So when they've been going on with this whole defund the police movement that has just completely butchered them, because that's all they're trying to do now, you know, because they've said all the stuff they shouldn't have said out loud. They said it over and over to fund the police, to fund the police. And now they're backtracking on that because it's going to kill them in the midterms. So why wouldn't they put the police responsible for it right now? So those in the progressive party that will not back down from that movement, they're going to have another cause because they're going to see these police go out against everyday American citizens that are out there protesting peacefully. And they're just going to come against the cops. again. I assume everybody saw those messages supposedly um, hacked or whatever revealed from the Mounties up in Canada. You know, they need to feel our jackboots, et cetera. I think the police are going to have to make a decision sooner or later. Whose side are you on? I've seen more and more people on the conservative side shocking me by calling police Gestapo and Nazis. And that used to be a very fringe radical viewpoint, but they're pushing and pushing more because how many cops have we heard saying, no, we're not doing this? Well, we haven't heard any, but there are some. No, we well, have heard a couple. Heard there was a guy out west, I can't remember, made a phenomenal YouTube in his car and saying, hell no, I'm not doing this stuff. But for the most part, we're seeing too many of them willing to bash people in the face. Well, that's yeah. like even with our the National Guard, would any of them ever come to the point of saying no well, and defying no. the orders? That's that's the thing is having the people that would do that. And I don't know. I don't know. If you we know, were you at our now. breakfast two weeks ago when I when I challenged the state trooper that came in and addressed us I don't on this so. very issue? I don't think I was there. I think the police have chosen sides. I don't think we're waiting to see which side they choose. I think they've chosen sides. They are upholding tyranny anytime they're ordered to. And they are chicken shit cowards anytime. Pardon my language, but they are just cowards when it comes to stopping the left, stopping BLM riots, stopping Antifa riots. They didn't do anything in 2020. They're not doing anything today. They are, well, they are all in on the tyranny. And they have nothing to fear from the right, people on the right. Right. Well, and we're, not the, we're not the violent ones. It's changing. That's, Ed, tell me, what was your conversation? Did you have a conversation? Oh, it was an extended conversation. And I made this exact point. I said, you know, you're, I told this guy he was a state trooper. I said, you know, you're in a room full of conservatives that want to support you. But the truth is, I, I know a lot of people in this room and out of this room that are on the conservative side that, that feel like the police have chosen sides and they've chosen side against us. We see, we see video after video of the police dragging parents out of, uh, out of board of education meetings, dragging kids away from restaurants because they didn't have a mask, dra dragging grandmothers out of a bank because they didn't put a mask on. 
but they have but they have nothing to say about their police cars being burned, about their police stations being burned down, about police officers being assaulted by BLM and Antifa. And they have nothing to say about the leftists that are destroying them and they have nothing, nothing, want nothing to do with them other than to fry them like bacon. Well, and, and the this- people on our side want to protect you and want to support you. And you're put, turning all of your guns at us. It, we're well, not going to support that forever. What do they say, if anything? He was, let's just say I was, I think that I had him on his heels most of the time. Uh, he under, he said that, you know, people have to get paid. They need to get their paychecks. They have their mm. pensions. And, and I said, well, you know what? So does everybody in this room. And so does everybody that's being dragged out of, like I said, out of restaurants and out of board of education meetings. We all have money and we all have pensions and, and things, and we don't want to pay money to, to lawyers to get us out of jail. But, you know, you, the police are the ones that are, that are putting and enforcing those rules on us. Well, what and, did you think about the cops that were enforcing on the good side down in Austin, Texas? Have you guys been following that at all? The 19 of them that have had charges pressed against them? Yeah. And they've got dollar bond. It was a couple of them have gone up to $5,000, but they've got dollar what bond. talking about, Gina, please tell me. Yes. So during the um, George Floyd BLM riots, whatever the heck, I don't know, um, in 2020 down in Austin, there have been 19 officers that were following command. So they had deployed um, pepper balls, gas rockets, all that different stuff. And uh, anyway, they are being they're being, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh my gosh, I'm having a brain fart. They've got charges pressed against them. Um, for for over, o- overuse of force against That's what the it was. BLM. That's what it was. Um, which was actually not against their policy whatsoever. They were well within their means. Um, but a young lady, there was a 20-year-old college student, shouldn't have been there. She ended up getting hit in the head. She's got brain injury now. So now these 19 cops are facing trial for, yeah, excessive use of force. There we go. Excessive use of force. Uh, yeah. And- um, Criminal but, prosecution. They're not being yes. sued. It's criminal prosecution. Is that right? what it was? Okay. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so where is, at the same time, where's the morale for the cops? I mean, they were doing their job and they were doing the right thing and they were going up against those rioters. And now look what they're facing for doing, for following the commands. Well, of their- saying, I don't even want to get into the police brutality. Like they, you know, they bash that woman to death in Washington. Mm barely gets any coverage. I'm talking about when will they refuse orders to come up against the few people who back them? Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of them. Like I can't imagine what the morale would be in the law enforcement officer's locker room when they're talking because they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. No matter what they do, there is going to be a side that's coming against them. So I- I I don't know. I don't want to make a whole show about cops actually don't see it that way. What are you laughing about, Mike? Nothing. I can understand that. Issue. Gina, Gina, yeah. I can understand that issue when when it comes to trying to arrest some of these BLM Antifa rioters. Um, I don't agree with it, but I understand it. I understand the hesitance. But I there is no justification in my mind for these police officers to be dragging grandma out of a bank. Oh, I agree or, with that 100%. Or drag a five-year-old out of a restaurant because he didn't have his vaccine passport. I agree with that 100%. But the thing with those as well is I'm assuming, and I don't know the demographics politically of these different law enforcement agencies and in different areas, but I'm assuming a lot of them that stayed up in New York that followed these vaccine mandates and that are doing that fall to the left. And I could be completely wrong. 
but a lot of them are under the impression. Following orders, and and well, I think that's what's dangerous. We're just following orders, and, right? And you know what? Where, if that's the case, and they're just leftists, I'm all for defunding them. We should defund the left anytime, anywhere. Period. Well, that's what I'm wondering: is who are the people that are still left in these major cities? Because they've had to go through and they followed these vaccine mandates and the masking policies and they're doing all of this. So you'd have to think, or at least you would just guess that they think that they are doing what is right and for the greater good. You would have to somewhat think that they think that. I don't think yeah, that I at think, all. Yeah, there's, there's I, no, I think the propaganda is strong. I think the it propaganda is strong. Is strong. They I think the that goalie. they're looking at their paychecks. That's right. They want, That's they what want I was to get their 20 years. They want their pension, and then when they get their pension, they'll quit. They have their own self-interest at stake. Yep, that's what I basically. Think. Basically, we're saying don't and, don't do your job and quit, or and, keep it and and live the high life. And you know what? And they want credit for being patriots. A patriot would say, "Yes, I want to get paid. Yes, I need to live, but I am not going to follow an unconstitutional order. I am not going to do this to innocent people." not just innocent people, but the very people in our society that support the police and that depend on the police. I am not going to go and enforce unconstitutional orders against them while these other people run wild and, and, and there's no oversight over I, them. Period. You know, not, not to go off on a tangent, but they don't bat an eye about uh, abusing pensions and overtime and all that too. So it's not like they don't stick at the taxpayers all the time. But that's what I'm saying, because they're the ones that we're seeing do this stuff. They're not patriots. And that's why I'm just under that assumption that most of them are on the other side from where we're at, because we would look at that and we would stand up to and we'd say, heck, no, I'm not doing that. I don't care the repercussions. I'll figure it out. I'll find another job. I'll do whatever it takes to protect my family, protect my kids, make sure that they grow up in a free United States. However, those ones that are still staying there doing that, just what is their mentality? Like, honestly, what is their mentality? People don't they're, even, they're, even the, even the leftists, they've, but even the ones on the left, they have that mentality that they think they're doing flipping good, that they're doing right. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Gina, that gets into the psychology of evil and, and the whole reason why dictatorships require propaganda in the first place. The, the number of people that are willing to consciously engage in evil is a tiny fraction. I mean, it may just be the, the true psychopaths in society. Everybody thinks that they're doing good. I mean, the, the typical Nazi thought he was doing good. The typical member of the KGB thought he was doing good. I mean, that's that's the, the whole nature of, that's human nature. We don't, we don't survive by being evil people. We think that we're doing good. And that's the whole reason why evil regimes engage in propaganda in the first place, to get the people to believe that the evil stuff that they're tolerating and the evil stuff that they're seeing is really for some greater good. That's well, you've heard of you've awesome. heard of the Milgram experiment, right? The, the psychologist uh, asked uh, people to, uh, um, you know, apply shocks to uh, individuals behind uh, the curtain, and they uh, kept increasing the voltage on um, urging by the psychologist. You know, like sixty percent, even though people were screaming. It was all fake, of course, but they didn't know that at the time. And so it, it's basically that. Uh, People are willing to obey orders, um, a large number of people are willing to obey orders, even when it results in, um, you know, people screaming. And the only way to knock them out of that, like other than the sociopaths, you know, the psychopaths among them who have no feelings, 
um, is to confront them. So I think what you did in front of that cop was good. And I think uh, to the extent that we can appeal to police um, in that one-on-one fashion and tell them that they're behaving like Nazi jackbooted thugs, um, I think that's good. People screaming at the police um, and calling them Nazis uh, is good because they are. And I think that's the only way to break through the whole Milgram thing. And what you'll end up with is, you know, a police force only populated by psychopaths, which I guess is the goal, right? I mean, that is the goal. I guess you have to mention the, the ridiculous irony in those wanting to defund the police are the ones cheering the police who quash the conservatives. And I think yeah. the, the irony- There's no irony there. That they, the, the purpose of, their purpose in defunding the police was to get rid of all the, the Trump supporters and the, the people who are for a legitimate police force. And then they would be able to replace the police with their own brown shirts or, or, or red guard or whoever, whatever historical analogy you want to use they want their own people in the police. And in order to get their own people in, they need to clear out the people that are there now. That's the strategy behind fund, defund the police. And I don't disagree with you at all. And you've actually taught me some things in that direction, but it's still ironic for calling in the National Guard to crush riots. And these are the people who were weaned on Kent State. I mean, it's just, I, I can't say it's not ironic. No, no, it's definitely ironic. I, I do think that if, if the Republicans have any balls. So this is fantasy to begin with. Um, They could do certain things that would help like ban civil asset forfeiture or at least restrict it so that the money goes to the general fund and not to the police departments themselves. Uh, Many police departments use civil asset forfeiture as a, as a, a money corrupt money-making proposition and getting rid of that is a way to defund the police without quote unquote defunding the police. You know what I mean? A lot of federal money goes to the police forces. So potentially that could be cut just not specifically, but you know, it's part of general budget cuts. Um, so there are potential things that can be done without seeming to be, you know, too anti-police. It will be hard, but it's not possible. Okay. I'm all for limits on civil asset forfeiture. I, I think you should go even further. I don't think it should go to the general fund. I don't think that that's a, an appropriate Oh, I don't think it's a function. thing. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's a thing. Yeah, and sometimes it's hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars. It's, yeah, whatever. Um, I want to switch gears. Got to talk about COVID just a few minutes just because it's still out there. I assume everybody saw that the CDC changed guidelines on speech for children. Yes. I remember fighting with people months and months ago saying, well, you know, because they kept saying masks don't hurt. You have to wear a mask. I remember thinking, gee, what is it doing to children? Well, CDC comes along two years later. Yeah, okay, we'll just change the the measuring stick. And I think, forget about the other stink out there that the CDC is now being shown to have hidden most of their data. Right, I think that's the bigger story. It's a much bigger story. But again, you know, it's almost like if we win, we still lose. Yeah, I mean, what they're doing with the data, I mean, that's basically a complete act of fraud. I don't know how else you can state it. They've they've been concealing, deliberately hiding data about hospitalizations, about whether the vaccines are working properly or not for over a year now. 
over right. a year's worth of data. And that's what they do. We have criminals running the government, Mike. They they do the same thing with inflation. Inflation is oh. way higher than what they're letting on to. They keep changing the way it's measured. They keep changing right. the composition of the, uh, you know, of the basket. Uh, this is what they do. They don't tell us the truth. They're liars, serial liars. Yeah, and yet, and yet a lot of people still believe them no matter what, despite well, the big lies that they tell. Well, that's the thing with the CDC thing. So they're talking about the masking and the children's. So now all of a sudden their speech development's different. They're not marking crawling by, you know, as a milestone anymore or walking by a year, any of that. <laughs> you don't but have to crawl anymore. <laughs> right. Well, no, they're not using that as a milestone. But when you say the people are so oblivious, and that's what I was saying, like, there's a mindset and I don't get it because I've got a, a group of friends that are speech pathologists and they're just like blown away. Like, are you flipping kidding me that this is what the government is now doing? And these people are coming to their defense and they're like, oh, well, it was it was only for the 50 percent anyway that they were talking about. So these numbers don't change nothing. Yes. Yes, it does. They're just putting a flipping bandaid over something because they've made a flipping mistake and they have been detrimental to these kids development. And now they're trying to, to move the bar down so it doesn't look bad on them. But these people are buying it. And that's the thing. There's something now right up there. I'm telling you. Liberalism is blind, blind faith and authority. Oh, my gosh. It's horrible. Um, let's see. In North Carolina, kids wearing masks. Sometimes. Depends on the school district, but most places no, I think, right now, wouldn't you say, Gina? For the most part, supposedly, our wonderful King Cooper, um, our governor, is supposed to be putting um, a statewide thing against it in schools on March 7th, I believe, is the anticipated yeah. date. I just saw so, that Maryland voted to end its statewide school mask mandate. I don't know as of when. Mm -hmm. I love these as of when's. Like, do they notify the virus you have two more yeah. weeks? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently Iceland has lifted all of their restrictions, period. Mm -hmm. So they're one of the first countries, I think. But it's oh, not UK. just that. It's they've come to the conclusion that the best thing would be everybody to Heard get immunity. the disease. Yes. Right. Yeah. That's the difference. <laughs> Which is what we've been saying from the beginning, all, pretty much. Are any advocating for herd immunity. Are any of the attendees of the Super Bowl still alive at this point? Uh, I don't think so. They're I mean, all, part... all of all the Floridians died a year ago. Right. That's all, all that life insurance data. That's all the Texans died a year ago. I, the ability to deny reality that's absolutely in your face is, is what's so unbelievable here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's get to this segment where everybody gets to talk about what they didn't talk about. Gina. Um, I think the only thing I'm going to talk about, and it rolls into my, my loser is, uh, Aaron Rodgers, and all of a sudden him coming out with this apology because him talking about COVID all year was very divisive among his family. And he's very apologetic for it. And, uh, it's just another reason for me to not watch football, to care less. Like, you know, he's, he's going to need a team to go play with. He needs to have some good PR. So now he's out there apologizing to everybody. So he's a loser. And uh, that's all I got. No winner? No. Uh, uh, Putin. <laughs> Putin. <laughs> because he's, because he's, he's, he's took his boot and stuck it right up old Biden's tush. So 
Yeah, he's the he's the winner. Okay. Okay, a uh, Mike. All right, I got a winner for you. You ready? Yeah. I'm going with uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, man. Ooh. He's uh he's ready to sue everybody's ass off, and apparently uh, news broke today that he's filed suit against King LeBron for defamation. So. Oh, that'll be right, your next right, biggest right loser there, then. Right there, he, he's a winner in my book, and I'm I'm waffling as to my loser. On the one hand, I'm thinking NBC because of how bad their ratings were for the Olympics, but I'm also I'm kind of thinking Kamala too because her performance on the world stage uh, over the last couple of days with respect to Ukraine was just a total utter embarrassment. So we'll call it a tie. But you can't say it was a disappointment, Ed Maslish. Uh, God, can you speak to this uh, Palin trial for a second and what the judge did and does it mean anything? Um, I'm actually not familiar with that story, Steve. So you'd have to give me some of the facts and I'll. I'll um, I was kind of counting on you. You know, she had sued the New York Times for defamation. And while the jury was deliberating, the judge said he's throwing it out anyway. And and Mm -hmm. the jury came back uh, with a, a verdict for the defendant. But before they did that, the right, they yeah. did, the judge did something that that poisoned the jury. Right. Yeah. Yes, that that's true. So there's a remember. clause for appeal. But like, um, how weird is this for the judge to do that? I forget. Yeah. I, I saw the story now that you bring it up. I don't remember the details, but uh, it was highly unusual, if not improper. Uh, I forget what the judge did, but he he did something. He did something to poison the jury and basically asked the jury to come back with a defense verdict. And because a jury verdict is much harder to overturn than, than a, than a a dismissal for on summary judgment or directed verdict. So basically the judge punted and said, uh, he asked the jury, he, my recollection is he asked the jury to, he he basically instructed them to come back with a neck with a defendant verdict. But I, I don't remember all the facts and details, so I'm just speaking a little extemporaneously right now. Um, And it's highly unusual, uh, especially Ed Ed Powell. I think you said you 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 saw knew knew the details of the case. As I as I recall, there were two other defendants, and the judge just dismissed those two, but he kept Palin in and asked the jury. I think he just asked the jury to come back with a negative verdict against her, and that would be completely improper and, and highly unusual. Yeah, I didn't hear that. Sorry. That's interesting because we know these libel suits are hard, but um, people have won big bucks. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with this Kyle Rittenhouse thing. And will it matter to anybody? Like who pays it off? And do they really feel like they're hurt when they pay it off? I like that he's suing Whoopi too. I think that's, it's great. So Whoopi and LeBron, they, they should be your partial losers of the week. I wonder how successful those defamation lawsuits are going to be, though, because he is a public figure, so he's going to have to prove actual malice. Which what is, is a public figure? How do you bec- are you a public figure? It depends. Well, on we are you. now because we have such big audience. You know, no, right. I'm saying like when, saying, what audience makes you a public figure? But you're saying Rittenhouse is a public figure? That unquestionably, I mean, at least for purposes of that trial. Well, he is now, but he wasn't when the defamatory uh, statements were made. That's yeah, the, there were, that's the right. issue. There were, there were statements made at various times, right? Before, well, right after the incident, leading up to the trial, subsequent to that. 
But, um, you know, I, I think that uh, LeBron made some comments earlier on. But seriously, who, who gets to decide that you're a public figure? How does that happen? Like, I get it if you're a comic. It's all arbitrary, of course. I mean, at a certain point, it's arbitrary. Um, it's not arbitrary. You have to be, you have to either, you can be a public figure for everything, say like President Biden, or you can be what's called a limited purpose public figure. I mean, and, and I think Rittenhouse for purposes of this trial is, is a public figure. I don't think his high school grades are a public figure issue. I don't think his, you know, if he played, you know, in, the, in Little League, I don't think that's a public figure issue. Um, but for purposes of this trial, it's, it's something of public interest where whether he did it voluntarily or, or he was thrust into the public, he's in the public eye and people get to comment on him. And I think that's um, I think that's proper. I mean, you know, if, if Michael Jordan goes and scores 55 points at Madison Square Garden, we need to be able to, to talk about it. We need to be able to yeah, talk about it. But there's a difference he... between saying Michael Jordan scored 50 points and Michael Jordan is a drug dealer who sold $50,000 worth of meth to his cousin. No, there's no, that's the there's point. No difference. It's just, uh, he's that's the point because that's defamation. That's saying he's a criminal. That's defamation. Whereas he, I, I thought he only, or I, I thought he was, uh, I thought that was a bad call and he should have been, had a foul. That, that's an opinion, but saying he committed this crime is not an opinion. What about continuing to call uh, him I think a murderer? Line, Ed. I mean, is, is it defamation for, for you, for us on this show to say OJ Simpson did committed murder against Nicole Simpson and Ron Goldman? I, don't I think would. It is. I'd love the discovery on that trial. But I don't think it's defamation. No, I mean, it's a, he, it's a potentially defamatory statement. Yes. But just because he was acquitted doesn't mean that our, we can't have an opinion that he should have been con convicted. That that's it. That's yeah. That's an opinion that we can hold. I, and why I can't? I hope he sues the pants off of LeBron and Whoopi and all these people. But uh, their defense is going to be, well, we're entitled to our opinion. We think that he was a killer. We saw the evidence, and we thought we saw the evidence too, and we thought the jury came to the wrong decision. You think that's going to be the uh, the excuse? Absolutely. I think that's well, going to be. Why wouldn't it be? I think it's likely to going to get it dismissed. Okay pretty tricky stuff. I mean, I don't know if we go on, you know, small podcasts and small radio shows, does that make us public figures? Um, possibly. It sort of depends. Yeah. I mean, how many YouTube followers public figure makes? Yeah. That, that's kind of the issue. Right. I mean, you know, if you only have a few few followers, then you probably aren't a public limited figure, pu limited purpose public figure. But, you know, if you have, you know, Joe Rogan is a public figure for sure. I mean, it's certainly with respect to anything he says on his podcast. OK, either Ed, final comments, stuff we didn't talk about that you wanted to. Um, sure, I'll go first. Uh, one, Trudeau just ended the emergency. Two, uh, German insurance data was leaked showing that the vaccine injuries were 10 times the official amount. And three, uh, Donald Trump's Truth Social banned per 
a person permanently, not just ban the, the tweet or whatever they call it, for just for the statement, uh, white lives matter. So well, where are you getting this stuff from? Uh, these three things I just got from uh, Telegram right now. Um, uh, no, the uh, German insurance data I got from Substack. I, I follow a bunch of people on Substack like uh, Steve Hirsch and um, Bob Malone and Matt Crawford and, uh, you know, Jessica Rose and a bunch of others. And this came through like 82,000 emails of like German insurance data. And the Truth Social, I got that from uh, Telegram right now. So what are you saying? He's being banned from what? A person. I forget the name and I could go back and find it, but it's irrelevant, posted white lives matter, that statement, and they banned him from Truth Social. Oh, so Truth Social banned the person. Banned the person for saying white lives matter. Yes, that's, so it's that's definitely going to be a free speech platform. Yes. Yeah, so we can see okay. how good a free speech platform uh, Truth Social is. I think uh, I may sign up just to see what uh, Trump has to say, maybe, but uh, I uh, the idea that it's going to um, replace Gab as the free speech uh, place to talk, um, I don't think so. Doesn't Devin Nunes run this thing? Devin Nunes does, in fact, uh, is like the CEO, yes. How did they get it onto the, the Apple, you know, how did they get it on the, uh, the Apple the, the server? Yeah, Yeah. well, uh, again, Apple and Google both have law uh, rules that say you can't uh, permit hate speech to be on the server. And apparently White Lives Matter is uh, hate speech. It's certainly the ADL considers it hate speech. And I think well, the ADL runs this whole racket. So um, no, my, my question is different, though. How did they not get parlored before they could become parlor? Yeah. How did they not get parlored? Because they agreed to not be a free speech site, you know, I mean, I, behind the scenes. I mean, I, that's obvious, right? I mean, and, and I think that app, it, it you know, they're all inclusion, but it, 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 it's all, you know, is it the payment processors or is it Apple and Google? Who knows? Probably all three together, but, uh, you know, but it's probably the payment processors. Do you think Gab is the freest? Well, Gab is the only one where you can say anything, including horrible things, with the exception they have one limitation, you're not allowed to put porn on it. Now, Twitter does have porn, but Gab, you can't put porn. So uh, if you want to see, you know, people engaging in sexual acts, you'll have to go to Twitter. But uh, <laughs> from the standpoint of saying things, you know, actual speech, actual intellectual content, Gab is completely free. And because that of that, there's a lot of there's a lot of really vile stuff on Gab, but they are free speech. Is Gab more like Twitter or more like Facebook? What is it? More Twitter. Like? It's it's more like Twitter. Yeah. Like Getter. Yeah. yeah. And Getter yeah. also uh, banned somebody the other day. I forget who they banned. Oh, they banned Nick Fuentes, the, the um, America First guy. They banned Nick Fuentes. So they're not particularly free speech either. Well, it's funny because I was going to bring up Truth Social too. And that's that's quite a way to start. Yeah. So then uh, as far as winners and losers, um, you know, I, I, without repeating, you know, the usual like um, communist are winners and everybody else is losers. Uh, 
I, I think the big losers of the week are um, the Chinese communists. Apparently, hardly anybody watched the Olympics. It got the worst ratings. It, it was like half of what it was the previous year. And um, why do they care? Why do the Chinese care? Yeah, because the whole purpose of the Olympics is as a propaganda fest for the host country. I mean, yes, the athletes compete and that's interesting. I find it interesting. But the whole thing is supposed to be a propaganda thing for the host country. So um, apparently it did not go over well. So I think that was a big uh, loser. And uh, as far as a winner, um, yeah, I can't think of anybody. People of Canada are, are winning because Trudeau is being shown to be uh, a, a whiny little bitch. So would NBC have been the loser as well there with China? Oh, it yes. Because it was 41% oh, yes. down was their ratings. Oh, yes. So uh, I'm going to add And they paid billions of dollars. They paid billions of dollars. Yes. Right. So and they, and they, paid those, they paid those billions of dollars to the Chinese communists. They got their money. It's NBC that was the loser. No, they paid the IOC. Now, the IOC is a, a grift, right? I and mean, the whole thing, it's like, you can't, you can't get more than three people together in an organization before the organization becomes leftist and becomes a grift, right? So uh, the IOC is a giant, you know, grift for the people who are in charge of it. And, um, but China, I think NBC did not pay China for the rights to hold the Olympics. I mean, there might've been some transactions uh, with, you know, space and hotel rooms and all that, but I think it all gets paid to the IOC. Um, so China was looking for it as a, as a propaganda venture and it didn't seem to work out. So that's good. Well, I would say the winner, my winner of the week is Putin. I think the loser of the week is the Canadian people. Uh, I respect what you're saying, Ed, that that they're showing that Trudeau is is uh, is a dictator. And until you just mentioned in the last 10 minutes or so that uh, Trudeau is backing off the Emergencies Act, uh, that would be great if it's true. I hope it is true. Um, maybe that makes the, the Canadian people less of a loser and maybe it makes them a winner, like you said. Uh, mm. But I think uh, I think that, you know, the vote in Parliament uh, last night or two nights ago was, was devastating. I, I, I still can't believe that uh, there wasn't a revolt in the parliament against Trudeau. Um, and as far as stories that we didn't cover, I, I think we pretty much covered all the things that I, I was hoping we would talk about. Uh, Today? So I'll just mention, what'd you say, Steve? I wasn't. No, that, that's fine. Oh, oh I, the only thing I would mention is that, you know, we're recording this on Wednesday, February 23rd. And yesterday was the anniversary of the miracle on ice. And every February 22nd, I watch replays of that ending of that game between the U.S. hockey team and the Soviets. And it just brings chills to me. I still remember the day. Uh, I still remember how I heard about it. Um, and I still remember thinking it was a prank and, and, and just somebody was pulling my leg when not just somebody, I, I heard it on the news and I thought it was just somebody who inserted some uh, joke into the news because it wasn't telecast live back then. It was recorded and they would show, uh, you know, they'd show at eight o'clock at night 
you know, the most important events of the day on whatever channel was broadcasting then. I, I think it was ABC back then. Um, and, you know, not just that it was a sporting event, but just the, the whole political impact of that, uh, of that game. I mean, we, you know, the Russians had just invaded Afghanistan. Carter was talking about boycotting the, the Summer Olympics in Moscow. Um, you know, the Iranians were holding our hostages and we felt impotent as a people. And then these little 18, 19 year old boys go and kick the crap out of professional Soviet hockey players that 12 days earlier before uh, before that game had just kicked the crap out of these same players at Madison Square Garden. Um, it just it was just such an uh, you know, I was 12 years old at the time and but I was still very politically active and I was following everything and uh, it was a big deal. And uh, every year I, I see that that clip and I, I listened to Al Michaels call and uh, it just, it, it literally brings chills to me even 42 years later. Yeah. So, I listened to it live on the radio. It was, it was live on the radio. It was tape delay on television and uh, I couldn't believe it either. Uh, it was different uh, call, but I, I do, I do remember the game being very excited. By it. Absolutely. Who do you play for Ed? I'm sorry. Who do you play for? What do you mean? Who do I play for? Come on, <laughs> you've seen the movie, right? Oh, okay. I mean, I have seen the movie, but I don't remember okay. that line. Well, if you go back and watch the movie, it's one of the themes of the movie. The coach keeps asking the players who they play for, for, and of course, they all yeah, they all came from. I guess you know they played in college, colleges, and, right. and so they would say, "I play for Boston College" or whatever. And finally, it, it sinks in, and one player says, I play for America. I play for the United States. And that's like a pivotal mo moment in the movie. So that's why I asked it. <laughs> oh, I don't remember. I, I mean, I've seen the movie, but I don't remember that. Uh, I just, I, I, I missed the time when we had our, our amateurs going up against the Soviet professionals. Yeah. Uh, as unfair as it was, it was still fun to watch, and it was fun to root for our amateurs to be able to kick the crap out of them they could beat us 10 to 2 and it didn't matter because you know they were 35 you know 30 year old professionals and we were a bunch of little college kids and so what yeah but when, when we yeah. when we beat them it was it was just uplifting and it was at a time when america really needed to be uplifted sort of right. sort of like today i mean you know you look around our country today and we really need to be uplifted by something we're, we we've got a boot on our neck everywhere we turn the only thing uplifting in the United States today is uh, SpaceX. Honestly, it's the only thing. You know what? There what is, there's one thing, and we didn't touch on this at all, um, and I think it's kind of uplifting because he's receiving pushback, um, but the transgender child pedophile that received only two years over in California um, for his lewd acts um, with a little girl in the Denny's bathroom um, Gascon is getting horrible, horrible pushback. And that's not just from the right, but it's from the left. And um, I think that's a little glimmer of hope I'm going to hold on to. I, I think that's great. I mean, the the guy when the judge read <laughs> read the two-year sentence, the guy laughed. I mean, that's it's just sickening. So that's one little glimmer. Well, one thing people forget, too, about that uh, U.S. Olympic team is that was only the semifinal game. They had to go right. on, I think, face Sweden or Finland after that. Probably Finland. Finland. And Finland. They, they were Two days later and they, they were, were trailing almost, after the second yeah. period. They were almost as good as the Soviets. So what happened with that Olympic team? 
is historic and I don't think will ever be matched. On the bright side, if I'm not mistaken, Jacksonville flipped the city council seat from strong Democrat to Republican within the last 24 hours. But the reason, again, that doesn't make me very upbeat is the Republicans will screw it up anyway. So, <laughs> so really, on when it. they win, they back down. Ah, let's be friends. Let's get along. And it's the Republicans who are the big trouble. We've said it many times more than the Democrats. So They're squishy. Yeah, what a nice way of saying it. Okay, with that, we will wrap up for today. We'll be up on all the podcast platforms, hopefully within about an hour. We hope you enjoyed this live on Facebook as well. Please send feedback to our new email address, the Conservatarian Exchange at libertyblock.com, which is our home. Please visit libertyblock.com as well for all kinds of interesting information. With that, have a wonderful evening. Thank you very much. Have a great right, week, guys. everybody.